Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. I hope you guys had a great holiday season. I am so psyched that 2020 is over and that we are in 2021, new beginnings. I know you're just as pumped about that as I am. However, we have to be honest, even though it's a new year, we still find ourselves in that space, that liminality space that we talked about before, you know, this, this in-between where what was no longer is, and yet what is coming isn't here yet. We are still in the in-between space. And so I wanted to start this year off talking with someone who knows an awful lot about that, Kat Armstrong. She just wrote a book called The In-Between Place, where she focuses on a character in scripture and talks about what it looks like to be in those in-between places, but also how do we nudge ourselves through? Like what kind of tools can we have to, to navigate this? And I can't think of anybody better than Kat to talk about that. And if you have been with me at all through this podcast, you, you know I've interviewed Kat before. She wrote a book called No More Holding Back and and she's the co-author of The Polished Network, which is an outreach for professional women navigating career and exploring faith. She's an excellent communicator and a great thought leader for her generation. So I know that you are going to really enjoy this conversation with her today. But before we get there, I also wanted to let you know that in two weeks, I'm going to be uh, launching a three-week series called Can You Hear Me Now? And it's about voice. It's about finding our voice, using our voice and being heard when we speak. And I have to tell you, it, it will be a very personal um, topic and, and potentially painful, but if we're willing to um, navigate it and think about it and, and do the hard work, I think we will find it very transformative. So that's coming in two weeks. And in February 9th, I'm actually going to launch a four-week conversation on Zoom around this concept of voice hearing God's voice, how do we do that? How, how do we find our voice? How do we use it? What did Jesus say about women's voices? And why aren't women being as heard as much as men? And all that kind of stuff is going to be tackled. And you can go over to the Marcella Project, and you'll see where you can register for that. And you'll be hearing more about it. But I just wanted to let you know. For now, we're actually going to turn to Kat Armstrong. Let's hear what she might have to say to us. Welcome, Kat. I'm so glad we get to chat with you about your new book, The In-Between Place. Hey, Jackie. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. All right. I have a lot of questions. I'm hoping we can get through them all. But before I ask my first question, I've got to set up some context here. Um, this past summer, I went back into counseling, and I did so because I needed a little help with my menopausal anger. 
Yes, it's a real thing. And then I needed this safe space to do some deconstructing work, like letting go of some of the beliefs that I had embraced from my conservative evangelical training. And so I went back into counseling and it was during counseling, I had this epiphany. Um, Like I realized that my body, literally my body, my relationships, and even my faith was in this state of liminality. Now, that's a weird word, I know. Several years back, I learned about liminality from Richard Rohr and Dr. 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 Sue Russell. Liminality, Mm -hmm. let me give you the definition, is the in-between space when the old is no longer and the new is not clear yet. It's betwixt and between, where we, by definition, are not in control. It's this foggy, confusing space. And recently, I did a podcast on liminality. I was going to do something else. I had some content already prepared, and I felt like the Spirit said to me, whoa, 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 Um, let's talk about liminality. I'm in liminality, and guess what? So is the whole country. Because of this pandemic, we're now put in this space, right, where the old is no longer, and the new is not here yet, and it's very foggy and confusing space. So I make this pivot in this podcast, and that's when I learned that Brene Brown was also talking about liminality. She didn't call it that in her podcast. She called it day two, and she says that day two is this messy middle day of the three-day intensive. Day two is not the beginning, not the satisfying end, but the grueling, confusing, messy middle. And what she was describing is that word liminality. And then I got your book called The In-Between Place. And voila. And I have said this many, many times. When I start to hear a thread or a theme being repeated, I tend to think it's God saying, pay attention, pay attention. I have something I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to my first question. Why do you think God has given this message of liminality, day two, the in-between places? What's he trying to say to his image bearers, do you think? a good question, Jackie. I think on a macro level, what we know about the Christian faith is that in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, the inbreaking of the kingdom happened. So he inaugurated this new kingdom where everybody is welcome. We're all part of a new family in Jesus. And so it started, but it's not complete yet. And it won't be complete until Jesus comes back again and restores everything, makes everything right, rebuilds the new heaven and the new earth, and we're all there together without any tears, any pain. But where we live in between the resurrection and his second coming. So I think on a macro level, we're all in between, and we will be until he returns. But I think on a personal level, Jackie, I I wrote this book and God gave me this message because before COVID-19, before I'd even heard that phrase, I lived through some really intense in-between places. Um, The most significant was my father's passing. He he died by suicide, the the wounds he inflicted on himself. But in between his suicide attempt and his death, there were a couple of weeks he was in the ICU. And it was the most painful two weeks of my life so far. Um, And I would regularly tell the Lord, I feel like we're in between his life and his death. Mm. I just don't know what to do with the space. Mm. I I don't, and I did not know how to go and visit him. I have a lot of regret 
um, because I, you know, no one prepares you for these moments of hardship that we go through in life. Um, but I found myself just wanting to go into his room, pray over it, talk with him, even when he was unconscious and have these spiritual moments. And instead I would be outside of his room holding the hand of a station nurse I'd never met before, sobbing and feeling as though I could not enter in. Like this is just, it's too heavy. It's too hard. So that's a really extreme example. And then less extreme in between places. I just handed the baton of an organization I co-founded 12 years ago to Dr. Joy Dahl and turned over all the day-to-day operations of an organization I birthed and grew to a national organization it's just been really hard. You know, I, uh, my identity has taken a beating um, and I've had to work through and sort through a lot of things that I'm like, Lord, I know that there, my future is bright because of you. I know I had a, a past that I'm proud of some of these things, but now I'm here in between. And I think those are the hardest places to be in. They are. And one of the things you say, I'm going to move down a little bit. One of the, oops, hold on. There we go. My little microphone thing just fell huh. um, in my own house. <laughs> um, I'm going to move to this thought. One of the things I thought was one of the most important things you said in your book for me was something I wish somebody had said to me 20 years ago, and that was feeling stuck is normal and that being mm-hmm. in these in-between places happen throughout our lifetime. I don't know where I picked this up. I don't know if it's a, an American ideology or if I learned it in Christianity or perhaps both. But when I was younger, there was this idea that at some point I would arrive and I'd be there and my feet would be steady. And this whole um, confusing, uh, messy middle would, would not happen anymore. And, and mm-hmm. no one told me that it would continually happen. I would have it happen several times in my lifetime, you know, even in my, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 55 and I'm in transition myself and, and, and it's confusing and unsteady. And I don't know. I just thought when you, when people got to be 55, they didn't experience this anymore. So I Mm -hmm. love that you say that, that you let us know this is normal and it happens throughout our lifetime. Another thing. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. We're not robots, you know? I mean, so (laughs) of course we're human beings. And I think we, you and I both Jackie and maybe many people listening are just so prone to see ourselves above our own humanity that we can somehow arrive morally, physically, spiritually. And the truth is we're just on an ongoing journey. And um, I'm learning that the hard way. And I'm hoping that in the future, I remember the words that I wrote that I think the Holy Spirit gave me that feeling stuck is normal. And so I feel stuck right now in between some things. And I'm having to remind myself daily, this is normal. This is not necessarily a reflection of who I am or a lack of faith or anything like that. It's not a judgment upon me. It's just reality. It's just reality. And that I think is so comforting. So the Mm -hmm. other thing you say to this, the other comforting thing, this idea of like, hey, we're going to get stuck over and over again. We're going to be in these places over and over again throughout our lifetime. You also make the statement that, and I'm quoting you, our most meaningful and memorable and life-changing moments in relationship with God 
are reserved for these in-between places. And I don't know if you know this, but Richard Rohr agrees with you, so you're in very good company. <laughs> he says that liminality is a, is a spiritual space where all transformation happens. He says it's when we are, in, are betwixt and between, and therefore by definition not in control, that nothing new happens as long as we are inside our self-controlled comfort zones. Nothing good or creative emerges from business as usual. Much of the work of God in the Bible is to get people into liminal space and to keep them there long enough so that they can learn something essential. I love mm-hmm. that. I mean, you, I, I think those two things are so important that your book brings out. You will go through these spaces, and, through, and in these spaces, something beautiful will be created. That should give us encouragement. So you, yeah. gave, you gave some examples. Um, I actually was surprised at how vulnerable you were sharing with your dad in the book. That was a, it was beautiful, but I also would imagine very, um, very hard to open yourself up for that. That would be hard for me vulnerably putting in that out there. So that's one of the ways, and you did say, Hey, that's an extreme. Um, and then you gave another example, passing over your, your work at Polish, um, so what you give a ton of examples and I, for our listeners, I want them to be able to connect, right? Okay. Which, what does my in-between space look like? So what other examples do you give in the book that you think would be helpful for them to go, Oh yeah, that's an in-between space. I didn't realize that. That's why I'm feeling this. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're asking yourself the question, how did I end up here? What is going on with my body? Why, why am I stuck here? Why does it seem like everybody else is cruising through this curve in life and I cannot get myself together? And I think if you're asking yourself, does it get better than this? Is this as good as it gets? I think any of those questions um, could help someone diagnose if they're in an in-between place. I think if you sit down to do, if you're a real goal-oriented person and you sit down and you go, I know exactly where I want to be in five years. I know what I want to be doing in 20 years. But why does it feel like I can't make the next right step? Because I can see way far in the future. But this day-to-day thing, it's been really challenging. I think you're in an in-between place. I think if you know the right answers, like if you're seeing your licensed professional counselor and they're telling you you're holding on to unforgiveness and this is going to keep harming you, not the people that you won't forgive, but you, you can't get there for physical, spiritual, emotional reasons, you're in an in-between place. I think if you feel like you chose a team, an organization, you felt called to it, you know you're equipped for it, you sense the Holy Spirit moving you, and then you get one or two steps ahead of something or someone, and then it feels like it's coming crashing down, I think you're in an in-between place. I think if you're moving from a, a position in an organization to a different title, a different role. If you've recently been demoted or let go during the COVID-19 recession, uh, you're in an in-between place. And I think part of why we all feel so weary and so depleted and so discouraged is that we don't like living in in in-between places. I don't. I don't want to be here. I would like to be on the other side of things. I would like to be Miss Wisdom with hindsight telling you it's all going to be okay and saying, I've been through this. But I do believe what I said in the book. I do think I am most willing to listen to Jesus. I am most receptive to his word. I am most obedient 
when I'm going, I, I, I don't know how I got here. Get me out of here or help me through it. Yep. Um, so I, I just seem to be more willing to let him lead me and more connected to him when I feel desperation. You know, Jackie, when I proposed this book, there were no mask wearing. There was no, there, there were no crazy things happening political, politically. It was a totally different world when I pitched this idea. And I remember um, the publisher saying, this is really down. Like, this is, this is so hopeful. The whole book is hopeful, but I don't know if people are struggling that badly. And here we are a couple months into the pandemic. And I think we're all feeling like we're in an in-between place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. These, those were great examples and you're exactly right. We are all there. I'm hearing it over and over and over again, this sense of, of feeling confused, frustrated in this messy middle, nudging, trying to nudge along and figure out how to move to the next step. It's everybody is experiencing it. So mm-hmm. I, I love that you identify what it is and then you say, okay, here's a pathway. And you lay out in your book three sections, which I'm going to ask you to tell us what those three sections are. And then you choose John chapter four to illustrate all the way through those three chapters, which I love as a Bible teacher. I'm like, oh my gosh, Bible, Bible, Bible. This is so fun. <laughs> um, so tell us those three, um, those three sections and then why John chapter four? How, how, does, how does this fit? Yeah, Jackie, you're such a huge part of this book. You're the last person that I think in the acknowledgments because you and I were on a trip together in the Holy Land with a group of women studying women in the Bible. I couldn't wait to sit under your teaching when we visited modern day Samaria. And I remember you getting up to teach about um, Dinah, if I remember correctly. And the, the tour guide, Ronnie, got up right before you spoke about Dinah from Genesis chapter 34. And he said, we are standing in modern day Samaria. Maybe you remember this is, you know, near the area where the woman at the well story happened. And now we're going to hear from Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese about Dinah because her story takes place here. I heard everything you said, Jackie. I took copious notes. It was an amazing (laughs) message, but I'll tell you what happened on the tour bus. After we were done, remember that that was that weird car came and we rode the armored bus that day. It was right after there had been like bombings and there it was a crazy, it yeah, was Mother's yeah. Day. The, the military police actually stood yes. over us with their guns while I was teaching. Made me a bit nervous. And I've actually been it, around yeah. in countries where I'm hanging out with guns, but that was a little nerve wracking. Yeah. It was a moment for sure. And so when we got on the tour bus, you would think I would have been processing more about Dinah's story or that we, I was scared we were about to be held at gunpoint <laughs> on my last Mother's Day here on Earth and I was separated from my family. Um, but no, what I got in that bus and did was look up Samaria. Where is this on the map? Like, how, you know, reorient myself with this ancient Near Eastern place and time, and then to connect the dots. I wanted to see how the woman at the well story is connected to Dinah through mm-hmm. a place. And it turns out that Sikar and Shechem are the same place. It blew my mind. And so I spent over a year researching every single time Samaria, Sikar, Shechem come up in the scriptures, what happened there. And so it led me to John 4. This amazing, one of the longest conversations recorded in the New Testament, it's with Jesus and a Samaritan woman, which we could have a whole nother episode about why this is so revolutionary. Um, He crossed gender, ethnicity, and class boundaries that never got crossed. And he did it to have a conversation with incredibly brilliant woman who knew her faith, 
who was a God worshiper but didn't know Christ and is one of the first to proclaim him as Messiah, recognizes him for who he is. And in this conversation, three things happen. She has to face her past and make peace with it in some ways. She has to find peace in her presence. I think that comes through Jesus offering her the living water, which is his ongoing presence through his Holy Spirit in her life. And I think she also moves confidently into her future as an evangelist, even with a really bad testimony. It was a pretty weak testimony, um, but she did so anyway. And I think I, the more time I spent in it, Jackie, the more Jesus taught me about how to navigate the in-between places. I think it's where Jesus changes our story and creates new beginnings for us and sets yeah. us on the right path and connects with us on a deep level. But I think he really helps us make peace with our past. And we see this in the conversation with her when he asks her why she's using survival techniques to get by, which is to be provided for by a man in her in her context. And they have a conversation about it. And then I think that he provides her with the peace she needs to be in her in-between place with his presence. And then I think he commissions her to go and tell her city that he is Messiah and they end up believing. And so I think that moment in her life would have transformed her because all she said to the people in her city, Jackie, was, could this be the Messiah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a strong, you know, it's not what we've been trained to do to go through the Romans road or to draw a picture or to ask the five questions or the four spiritual laws. You know, she just asks a question. Could this be him? He told me everything I've ever done. And there's revival that breaks out in her city because of her obedience. And so I took a lot of comfort in the way he talks with her mm-hmm. and the time he spends with her. Um, and so that that's kind of been my journey. Yeah, I love that. I'm actually going to do a podcast on women's voice. Um, and one, and I'm going to center on this dialogue between her and Jesus, and that's for another time. But um, this conversation and even the tone of the conversation and the sarcasm in the conversation is just a profound statement to, to what God thinks about women. And I'll leave that for another time just to say Jesus is good news for women. I can just tell you that. I love one of your yeah, – t- go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I, yes, I just, yes and amen to that. Jesus is good for women, always has been, always will be. Uh, there's a there's a place in John chapter four where John wants to cue us and grab our attention. He says, Jesus had to go to Samaria, had to go to Sikar and have this conversation. And you and I know that doesn't mean that Jesus was without option. <laughs> he wasn't forced to go there. He very much got to choose, and he intentionally went to a place that we would have called crappy, however you want to phrase that in a your vernacular. It's, it's a really bad place where women had historically been treated horribly, and there were horrible leaders who created oppressive rulers that killed a lot of people. This was what that place was known for, and Jesus goes into that messy middle. He goes into that place that needed redemption. And I would call it a do not enter zone, mm-hmm. a place where every Jewish man knew to skip over, to go around. And he goes straight in and he has this conversation. And John says he had to go. And I think he had to go because he, we need his presence in our in-between places. And as trite and as over-spiritual as that sounds, the entire book 
is about the fact that Jesus comes and meets us where we are. And I could get misty. I just talking about it, that there have been some places in my life where I feel like he entered in with me, that friends and family couldn't go with me. My LPC couldn't go with me. My spiritual director, my husband couldn't go. It had to be Jesus. And he's the only one who could handle it. The mess that I had made or that someone else had made in my life and his presence has just changed me. And I think he changed her life. And we see the evidence of that. And so I'm hoping and I'm praying, Jackie, that people read this story and never look back, that they think this Jesus, he has to be in my life. And I want to have conversations with him because he does listen to women's voices. I love that. I love that. You say on page 27, and this kind of sums up just what you said. I I love it. You said, I think Jesus had to go there because that's what Jesus does. He enters into our brokenness. The place needed to be redeemed. And maybe you think, and this is your challenge to those who read, maybe you think the hardships or the trauma you've suffered feel like ancient history, still haunting your present and lingering future. Well, I have good news for you. Jesus specializes in redeeming broken places. What he did for Shechem, I know he can do for you. And that right there is worth buying the book for. So let me just say this to those of you listening. I can't possibly cover all the great golden nuggets that are in Kat's book. So I want to encourage you to go buy it. I think it comes out in January. Is that right, Kat? Yeah, January 5th. Okay, great. So I'm going to encourage you to sign up on her. She's going to tell you how to do it at the end here. But I want you to go and buy our book. Not only will you be better for it, but we want to support women authors and women preachers. And we need more women like Kat. We need their eyes on the scriptures, speaking truth from their female experience to us. And while you're at it, it'd be really helpful for me if you'd go over and subscribe to this podcast, because that's how we get this kind of content out there. Okay, I got to move on to hope. Hope. I got to tell you, Kat, I've had a very fragile relationship with hope in the past four years. Um, I think you know that I've had a few conversations about it, but I really had to do some hard work to let Jesus um, resurrect hope in me. And that had a lot to do with um, the election in 2016 and the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement, just hearing and seeing. And as a pastor, I have heard it personally from women all over the world, you know, about sexual abuse and exploitation and women. And women have suffered underneath sexual abuse and violence for thousands of years and it looked like we're still there and not any hope. It, it just didn't seem like we were getting mm-hmm. any better. So I've had this very fragile relationship with hope over um, the last four years. And uh, you say one of the ways we find hope in the in-between places is by sharing our story with someone safe. So tell us how you see that truth playing out with Jesus and the woman at the well. There was this really cool TED Talk, Jackie, and it talked about our body language, and it went viral. If you remember, it was telling it was a woman telling us, you do this Superman pose before you go into a job interview. If you're crossing your arms in a meeting, that means no, that's a red light. You know, if you're nodding yes and your arms are open, that's a green light, and how our body language reflects what we're thinking. And even if it doesn't, it communicates something. Our body language communicates something. And so I want to mention a couple of things about this conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well. First of all, he was seated when she was approaching him at the well. 
And I find this to be incredibly humbling that the, the, the God who is over all the universe mm. <laughs> and that has made the church his, his footstool and every, he's part above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that can be given, not only now, but in all the ages to come, this God came in bodily form. That's humble in and of itself. But then he seats himself wearied by his travels to receive this woman at the well. And I don't know about you, but someone who's standing in a pose that looks very strong, they have been a tad intimidating going to the well that I usually go to where there's usually no one at the time of day and there's a strange man there waiting for me. But the fact that he was seated, I think, speaks to his approachability. Jesus is a safe person when no one else can be, when no one else can really understand Jesus is safe. And I think we always assume, you know, Jesus knows everything about us. We hear that in church. He knows our story. He knew the woman at the well story. Yeah, he told her. And yet he he told her her story. And yet he asks her a couple of questions that get her talking and sharing about her belief her backstory, why she is where she is, why she's doing what she's doing. And he receives everything she has to say, even though he already knew what she was going to say. And he asked her prompts. It's almost like he's saying, I want to spend time with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your story from your perspective. Mm. Although he doesn't need it to shape his understanding of our truth or our reality. And yet he invites us to share ourselves with him. And so through this book writing process, I started to treat Jesus more like a friend. He will never be less than this incredible, the one true living God who rose from the dead and proved he could forgive my sins. All those things remain. But I am learning new parts of my relationship with Jesus. And part of it, Jackie, is knowing he is my friend and that he loves me and he likes to listen to me the way some of my best friends will let me vent. They'll let me process. They'll let me entrust them with secrets or stories. And I'm like, this is for your ears only. He is infinitely better than any friend I could have here on earth. Although I need all my good friends. Um, Jesus is a really safe person and we can entrust our story to him. And I I just want to encourage people to start thinking about what it would look like to entrust him with more of your story, even though he already knows it, to speak to him in a way that you would a friend and say, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm processing. This is what I'm deconstructing. This is what's really hard for me right now. And to know that he's going to have the longest recorded conversation in the New Testament with this woman. What would he, what was he trying to communicate about the way he listens to women, believes women, invites them to use their voice? I think what he is communicating on a macro level is that he he wants to hear from us and that he will believe us. Um, and I think for someone listening today, that may be revolutionary because there aren't a lot of safe people in their past, uh, but Jesus is a safe person. And I think part of navigating the in-between places is not just entrusting those messy middles to your conf- you know friends you confide in, but also entrusting it to, to Christ. Yeah. I love that. It's a very relational conversation, right? It's back and forth. Like my closest friends have a, several of them, they have a really good, um, gifting. Their gifting is to be able to ask great questions that prod Mm -hmm. and help you bring out your own story that maybe you don't even know you need to tell. Do you know what I mean? They're really good question askers. 
Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is that. And, and he's, 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 it's, he's asking these questions because he wants to engage relationally. It's a back and forth, right? It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's inviting us into the safe space where there's a relationship. You, um, on page 70, you ask this most profound question. So I, I, I think you, you know which one I'm referring, right? It says where mm-hmm. if Jesus were sitting in front of you. Would you, would you just ask our listeners that question? I, I, it's a pastor, it's a pastoral moment, but would you ask them? Yeah, I would just encourage everyone to take a big, long, deep breath to quiet their soul and their mind and their spirit. And then to imagine that Palestinian man we call Jesus with um, scars, hands, that he is with us right now, wherever we are, and it's just us. And my question would be, if you're in conversation with Jesus right now, if he's present with you, what would you want to tell him about your story? Something maybe you can't articulate on paper, you haven't found the words before, or you just don't trust anyone enough to let them into that level, what would you tell them about your story? Personally, Jackie, I've told him some things that I, I just am not ready to share with anyone concerning my dad and his passing. Mm-hmm. I, I've processed with him some hardships of being a pastor's wife. Um, I'm entrusting him with parts of my story a level and a depth that no one else has access to because no one else can be trusted to the level that he can. But I think, I think if we let him listen to us, we will find so much healing in his presence. Yeah, I agree. Beautifully said. I want you to know, I'm going to post some of the questions that she asks on page 70 that I think are so helpful because some of you may be driving or cooking while you're listening to this or whatever you're doing and you can't um, really pause and really think and I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to put it on our Facebook group page, Jackie Always Unplugged, and you'll find it there. But um, let me move on to another question. So you know my life's work is about ennobling women. I love that word, ennoble. It means to lift up to dignity, to nobility. I love it. So we, um, we're committed to ennobling women through scripture-based teaching and training. And I think my work is to ennoble women as Jesus intended and as we see that he does in the scriptures. And then you mentioned in your book about one of the ways through this um, in-between place is, is, is not only sharing your story, but belonging, that that belonging is a way we experience hope while living in liminality. And you talk about this woman at the well, belonging. And um, some, some listeners may not be very familiar with the patriarchal culture during Jesus's time. And therefore, I think we miss some of the punch of this passage. So how was Jesus being cultural, countercultural, which you mentioned a little bit? And why did you write this statement? from the beginning of time, because you've said it. And so I want to go back to that. From the beginning of time, not just in John chapter 4, but from the beginning of time, God has relentlessly included women in the story of redemption and elevated women's voices in countercultural ways. Yeah, this this conversation with the woman at the well, it's almost like the equivalent of going topless on a beach here in the States. It doesn't have a sign-up that says that it's a topless beach. It would be like you and I showing up with young children and being mortified 
that Mm. there are people without clothes on and jumping back in the car and it becoming an epic family story of remember that moment when the crazy people were not wearing clothes um, and how inappropriate that would be, how inappropriate it would feel. I know that the joke would be in our, in our house would be, can you believe that the pastor and the pastor's wife took their pastor's kid and showed up at a nude beach or a place where they're topless? You know, that would be really inappropriate. I wouldn't want to be there. Um, and if I saw other people there that I knew, I would be mortified, mortified. if I was like, hey, there's Jackie. What is she? Oh, no, look away. You know, this would be mortifying. And in, in, a, in a similar way, Jesus having this conversation was so countercultural at the time. It would be like seeing someone you respect and never imagined to go on a topless <laughs> beach, seeing them there. And I think the disciples show us a little bit about that. When mm-hmm. they come on the scene and they find Jesus talking to one of the well, they're looking at each other like, what is going on? Has he lost his mind? Not only did he force us to go through Samaria, which everybody knows we're going to try to avoid, but he crossed so many lines. I think for one, what a lot of people need to understand is that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They hated each other because they believe, you know, for Samaritans, they believed that Moses was the prophet that was to come. And for the Jews, they were awaiting a Messiah. They worshiped on different mountains. They had two different temples. They, they were at war with each other, metaphorically speaking, to figure out who was really right about their faith. And so she's a Samaritan, someone that Jews hated, and yet they're not even supposed to be talking to each other, and they are. He crosses some gender boundaries in that he's having a conversation with a woman alone. This has been totally unacceptable, totally inappropriate, Mm -hmm. and yet he does it. And then we also see that that not only is she a woman and a Samaritan, but that she's been married five times and she's living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus brings that to her attention. So she has the wrong class. She has the wrong ethnicity. She has the wrong gender to be in a conversation with Messiah. And he crosses all of those boundaries to let her know she belongs in his family and that she will be an important contributing member with a voice that brings people to faith through her broken story. And she doesn't have to sacrifice her ethnicity or her gender or her backstory to Mm. be used by God. And so I think we see this from the beginning of time, Jackie, he is relentless. Um, You know, for us today, we read passages and we think, oh, there's Deborah. Oh, there's Hudla. Oh, there's Priscilla. Oh, there's Lydia. Some of the women that we recognize in the Bible, but in its time, it would have turned things on its head. Yep. People would have been shaking their head going, what? That is so radical, so otherworldly. We can't even conceive of how inappropriate it would be for this woman to lead, to speak, to prophesy, um, to govern, to lead the army, to plant the church, you know, to to be the deacon of this, this church here. It, it would have just been revolutionary. And sometimes our modern day ears can't comprehend um, but I, I think in this story, Jesus shows his, the radical belongingness that we can embrace. I think a lot of women feel left out. And sadly, what I want to say, Jackie, is I think that's been done on purpose. Mm. I think a lot of well-intentioned people probably did it unknowingly. But I also think that there is a small little contention of um, cowardly people who don't take the scriptures at face value um, and intentionally hold women down who intentionally silence their voices and keep them out 
of leadership where decisions are happening keep their voices from being heard. And when you mentioned um, things like what's happening politically, what's happening with the church too and the Me Too movement, what's happening with so many women deconstructing their faith, it's all connected. It's because so many people feel left out and excluded. We see the opposite with Jesus. Mm-hmm. He is making a way for people who don't belong alongside the disciples to show them up in their faith. Um, and we see this time and time again. I have a million examples that I could give you. But I think the woman at the well is such a strong example that Pete, we're still talking about her story today. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I agree with you. Um, I, I, You talk in your book about belonging. I think this is, you quote Brene, Brene Brown, which she's so worthy of quoting. <laughs> but um, you talk about belonging there and this idea that belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And um, you've pastored women for a long time, and so have I. And so you know that many of us listening have been wounded when we have been, and when we have brought our real selves to the table, um, that we have tried to be who we are, and it's been silenced or erased or overlooked, as you mentioned in your book. So you just... You started really preaching there and giving us encouragement. And so as a pastor, what would you say to us if we are one of those, like we're hearing you about Jesus belonging, we're thinking, okay, how do we belong not just to Jesus, but to people, right? Because he wants us in community, right? That part of getting through this liminality, these messy spaces, the in-between is Jesus and then people that Jesus gives us. So how do we, when we've been silenced or erased or overlooked, what, do you, what, what would you say to us? I'm experiencing a revival in my heart in the season, Jackie, because I'm finding allies, unexpected allies, in men and women who are so for women's voices coming to the forefront and being utilized for what Carolyn Custis James calls the blessed alliance. I know you talk about it in your books. Um, I talk a lot about it in my books, too just that men and women were called to partner together to advance the kingdom. I think just so many women that have been silenced, sidelined, overlooked, cast off, not believed, now wounded. We feel like, how do we re-engage with our faith, let alone serve in a local church? How do we trust people again? And all I can say is that I understand. I know Jackie understands on a very deep level. This is as painful as it feels. You're not crazy. We believe you, 100% believe you, and it's going to be a long journey. And so what I have been dipping my toe into is trying to become more aware of those who are not cheering on my work as a fan, but partnering with me in ministry. I've seen this most clearly in Warren Truesdale and Cameron Sparks and Zane Parsley, who are all on staff at Dallas Bible Church and Brian Radabaugh, all the other male leaders there. But I am telling you, my husband's church staff, they they knew about this book. They knew about the message. Um, they've been processing with me some of the chapters and key, key points that I make. Um, they have been sending me articles and books. When I go to church, they ask me, how's it coming? And I know they sound like very small things, Jackie, but once you have been silenced, once you have been erased, that kind of kindness, Someone reaching out a hand and saying, you know what? I just read this article on the woman at the well, and I thought of you. Check it out. Tell me what you think. In some ways, it's like 
I didn't know to ask for ministry partners for this book project, but God provided them. Mm, that's, that's awesome. Now I'm learning the cues, like who to trust and not trust. And who, it's not necessarily there for me or for this message or for my brand. It's not that. And I think maybe I confused that before. Mm. It's about the my brothers in Jesus who treat me like their sister. Yeah. So I texted Warren last night and his wife, and I said, you consistently treat me like your sister. And for someone who has a broken relationship with my own biological brother and has been harmed by brother my brothers in Jesus on several occasion, I now am able to discern Jackie. Oh my gosh, he treated me like his sister. That's how, this is how it's supposed to be. This is the blessed alliance. And sometimes we're so far away from it and removed from it that we forget it's possible. And so I just want to speak hope over everyone listening. Not everybody wants to silence you. (laughs) Not everybody wants to keep you at arm's length. There are a lot of people that want to link arms with you. We also have to be willing to reach back out again. Yes, yes, yep. I, love, I mean, I mean, Jesus doesn't want to silence us, and He has. There are, and I love your example because I too have experienced this throughout my ministry life. There are men who want to ally with us. They are there, and it is helpful to like look up and catch the cues, and then enter into those relationships with those men. And then there's sisters that are also in our camps too, right? That help us mm-hmm. to, um, that are very okay with who we are. We need those also, our sisters who don't ask us to be less or different or, you know, assimilate as uh, Brene Brown says. But mm-hmm. so that's a, that's a great word of hope for them. Okay, we have uh, time for one more question. And I got thinking about, we haven't touched the third section of your book. And, um, I know for me, uh, I have gone back and read some of my, some of the stuff that I've written and surprisingly many times the spirit will actually speak to me through my own writing, which he also had a hand in putting down paper, right? Like, but it's mm-hmm. like, bam, it hits me and I go, Oh, I needed to be reminded of that. I needed to be comforted like that again. I didn't, I'd forgotten and so, you know, as authors, I think that's an interesting thing that sometimes we go back and read. Sometimes I go back and read and go, wow, that was really good. I don't even think I know that. How did I know that? You know? <laughs> I don't think thing. I know that now. How did, how did I know that then? You know, I'm just it's shocking to read your own work sometimes. So my question for you is, um, if the spirit were to speak through you today about something you wrote in section three of your book, what would it be? It would be a quote by Fannie Lou Hamer. She says, trust God and launch into the deep. And what I am reflecting on in this season, Jackie, is that I'm never going to have it all together. And I have to go anyway. I have to go where the spirit leaves me. I have to keep moving forward in my calling. I have to keep serving in my local church um, with faithfulness. I need to keep stewarding the messages. I think he's entrusted to me. I have to keep digging into the scriptures, but I just won't have it all together. So if I am looking to come out of COVID-19 and reemerge, having cocooned in misery and doubt <laughs> and fear and concern and weariness and depletion, I am crazy. That's exactly what put me in an in-between place in the first place, is thinking, is this as good as it gets? I, I got to patch myself back up and get back out there. This is not to deny us self-care, respite, intentionally 
you know, um, building ourselves back up. It's not to deny any of that, but you hear what I'm saying yes. that at some point we do have to keep moving forward. And uh, that, that last section of the book about stepping confidently into our future, it is not a pep talk. It's not, okay, ladies, let's get back at it. It is, this is worthy of our time. Jesus is before us. Let's just set our eyes on him and let's keep going, knowing that we we do not have it together. And I think we see that in the woman at the well story. She has not had time to write a book repenting of her five marriages. She has not had time to go to her city council and talk about maybe the mistakes she's had in life. (laughs) She does not have time to go through seminary between the time that she encounters the Messiah that believes him for who he is and then goes and testifies to her city. We do not see that she created a website or a brand or a whole new ministry to accompany that one testimony that she had. We, we don't see any of those things that maybe I imagine are required for me to quote, step confidently into my future. Instead, she goes back to people who know her and her story and says what she knows to be true, that he just told her everything she'd ever done and leaves it at that. And I'm sure she went on with her day and rebuilt her life knowing Jesus, but she didn't have it all together when she started her ministry and certainly not when she completed it. And I'm sure if she just learned about the living water, she had to envision, I'm going to constantly need the Spirit's filling to keep going. And so we can't ever get to a place where we don't need the Spirit's filling. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we didn't even get into the living water, which so... Can't cover every great nugget in this book, so please go buy it. All right, Kat, we are running out of time, and I want to thank you for giving us your time. And more importantly, I want to thank you for being a woman who's done the hard work of studying the scriptures. I know what that means. It means a lot of quiet time alone. It means being in your head. It means being on your knees. It means seeking, asking questions. It's actually, thinking is hard work. And so thank you for doing the hard work. We absolutely need to hear more from you and more from women like you. So where can the audience connect with you on social media and where can they get your book? I live on Instagram, Jackie. So Kat Armstrong one on Instagram. And then my website is a great place to connect with me for any of my future projects. Wonderful. Wonderful. And for those of you listening, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your time. If you found this podcast, this content worthy, like pass it on to another friend who might also benefit from it and head on over and subscribe to Jackie Always Unplugged. I'm always up for a conversation on Facebook too. Like, Hey, let's talk. And I feel like I need to end in a benediction. I just, why not? So here's my benediction over all of those of you listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the in-between place. Amen. Hey, if Thank you've you. enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.